and it's called Just Egg, even though it's literally everything but eggs. So I was looking at their website. It took me like five minutes to actually track down the ingredients list because they hide it in this sidebar that you only open when you go to the nutrition info. The website's very beautiful. It's like all these pictures of scrambled eggs and whatnot, but I I know what they're hiding. I know what they're hiding and it's this ingredients list. I'm Jane Z, and this is Farm to Future, the podcast all about eating better for the planet. Well, hello. It is just me today. We are sitting down, just you and me, for a casual chat. We got some firing comments over on Instagram about the lab-grown meats episode with Julia Ranney. So first off, the mean comments. I mean, the meat comments. Although, if we're real about it, some of the comments did get unnecessarily spicy. And if you're curious, just go check out the reel I posted a couple weeks ago. I think it's titled, Pasture-Raised versus Lab-Grown Meat. We are a wholesome crew here at Farm to Future. We all care a lot about food and the land and animals. Uh, So friendly reminder to please keep it friendly. I'm going to play the clip for you here so you have some context before we dive into the comments. When you eat a cow from pasture that lives out in the sun, how cows are supposed to live. (laughs) There are all of these medicinal plants like on pasture that humans cannot eat. It's poison to us. But the cows can eat them and we can get that medicine from eating their meat. And the sun, the vitamin D, you know, what have you. When you're eating a piece of meat that came from pasture from a happy animal, like that is pure nourishment on so many different levels. And it's so bioavailable. And that's the thing that I think is important. Are any of the nutrients from this product going to be actually bioavailable to us? I don't know. We already know that when you compare something like a choline supplement to choline and eggs, The choline in the eggs is far more bioavailable than the supplement. We have no idea what's going to happen there. So the point of this clip is Julia is comparing the benefits and nutrition and the bioavailability of nutrition between pasture-raised meat versus lab-grown meat, right? And she specifically touts the benefits of meat from happy cows versus this concoction of materials in a lab, okay? So I think some people are getting caught up in the mention of medicinal plants, right? So uh, Julia talks about how the cows will eat these plants, some of which are toxic to humans, but they can digest it. And so then their meat contains those benefits when we consume it. Let's just dive into some of the comments. I'm going to share three in particular that brought up some interesting points. The first one is from Heaven Sent ASMR. The comment reads, But she's lying, though. You can eat the weeds. Almost 98% of weeds are in fact not poisonous. And not only that, but very nutritious for us to eat. There are no plants that cows eat that are poisonous to us. Okay, I'm going to stop there. (laughs) A couple things to address here. One, to their point, there are a lot of plants that we consider as weeds that are certainly edible to humans. For example, uh, stinging nettle. If you see this plant in the wild, do be careful because it will sting you. However, you can take the leaves and make tea out of it. It makes a very nice herbal nettle tea. To their point, there are lots of plants out there that we probably don't consider as part of our diet, but are edible. However, I would caution y'all to be very, very careful when foraging or considering eating weeds. 
For example, just a few months ago, I found these luscious looking berries growing in my front yard. And luckily, I did some research and uh, posted on Instagram before touching them. It turns out they were poke berries, and they look a lot like little vertical clusters of blueberries. They're a similar color. So it turns out the berries themselves are poisonous. However, in the springtime, the shoots and leaves can be cooked and eaten. And, you know, like if, if I didn't know any better, I'd be like, oh, these look like blueberries. Let me try them out. Right. And maybe that's just me. But lesson here is please use common sense and do your research before consuming any new plants, especially wild plants. And the other thing I want to bring up is that the level of toxicity is important to note. There's different mechanisms that plants use to protect themselves from predators, i.e. us. Um, so I found this study that looked at 844 plant species in Switzerland, and the study was looking at the level of toxicity among these plants. So it found that 20% of the natural growing plant species produce these PSMs, or plant secondary metabolites, that have adverse effects on humans. Only about 14% of the plants were very strongly or strongly toxic, and a big chunk, 37%, are classified as medium toxic. So I'm going to link the study so you can go into more detail, but just to share that here and say there's more nuance to this than just saying like a plant is toxic or non-toxic, right? Even with the pokeberry example, the berry itself is toxic, but the other parts of the plant may be edible when cooked at certain times. So all that to say, please do your research so that you do not poison yourself. Okay. Second comment I want to address. This is coming from S. Harry 23. So they say, but when the cow is getting killed, the stress and fear hormones that kick up in the meat is what you're really eating, then screwing over your entire health system. They then go on to say some unnecessarily mean things. But I, I think this point of, you know, when a cow goes to slaughter, they do develop stress and fear hormones. And that might outweigh the benefits of these medicinal plants. For argument's sake, I think what Julia was trying to paint a picture here of is a cow that's raised humanely, you know, raised happily in pasture all the way up to its end of life. Now, I know in reality there's bottlenecks when it comes to infrastructure around local slaughterhouses that, you know, practice ethical slaughter practices. But in this ideal scenario that Julia is painting, the cow is well taken care of and gets slaughtered in a humane way that minimizes those stress and fear hormones. If you're in the school of thought of all killing of animals is bad, I happen to disagree with you. I do think that death is part of the cycle of life and the cycle of our food system. Neil Dudley, from the cowboy perspective, does a way better job at describing this than I do. We did an episode with him a few months ago, so I suggest you go take a listen to that and hear how someone who works day in and day out with animals and cares for their well-being thinks about death as part of this symbiotic relationship we have with the animals. And the third comment I want to address, this one is actually really interesting. So the Tuki Brothers says, the medicinal herbs go into the milk, not into the meat. So I looked into this, and 
Actually, Julia sent me over a paper that addresses this directly. This study came out in 2021 in Frontiers of Sustainable Food Systems. The paper is titled Health Promoting Phytonutrients Are Higher in Grass-Fed Meat and Milk. Okay, so from the introduction, I'm just going to read this off because I think it does a really good job of answering uh, this comment. Okay, so the impacts of how livestock are raised and finished on consumer health are generally ignored. Meat and milk, irrespective of rearing practices, provide many essential nutrients, including bioavailable protein, zinc, iron, selenium, calcium, and or B12. Emerging data indicate that when livestock are eating a diverse array of plants on pasture, additional health-promoting phytonutrients, terpenoids, phenols, carotenoids, and antioxidants become concentrated in their meat and milk. Several phytochemicals found in grass-fed meat and milk are in quantities comparable to those found in plant foods known to have anti-inflammatory, anti-carcinogenic, and cardioprotective effects. As meat and milk are often not considered as sources of phytochemicals, their presence has remained largely underappreciated in discussions of nutritional differences between feedlot-fed and pasture-finished meat and dairy. And then the authors go on to say that the current knowledge does not allow for direct linking of livestock production practices to human health, and the authors encourage researchers to look more closely at the topic. Quote, future research should systemically assess linkages between the phytochemical richness of livestock diets, the nutrient density of animal foods, and subsequent effects on human metabolic health. This is important given current societal concerns about red meat consumption and human health. Boom. This could be a really pivotal study. Basically, they're saying we don't have a ton of research that's linking the livestock raising practices. So whether they're pasture raised or feedlot fed and grain fed and that effect on human health. But as we can see in the study, they're already finding, you know, several of these benefits that are generally associated with plant foods. So super interesting. Going to link that in here. And I know that Instagram and social media in general is not the place for nuance. Which is why I love podcasting, because that's where we can dig deeper. Hopefully that was interesting. Hopefully you learned something. I would like to now talk about eggs, because I like eggs. Eggs I like. And yes, that is a reference to The Amanda Show. Long live Amanda Bynes. Thank you very much. So eggs are getting expensive. Okay. I was doing our regular grocery haul the other day at Whole Foods, and there was a little sign that said, limit two cartons per customer. I was shooketh. I mean, I really shouldn't be because this has been going on for a while, but I gotta say, we are egg fiends in this house. We eat a lot of eggs. It's almost embarrassing how much, but let's read off some of the stats. In December, the average price for a dozen eggs in U.S. cities hit an all-time high of $4.25, up from $1.78 a year earlier. Honestly, I've seen worse. The good news is prices are starting to drop again, but it'll probably take months before they go back to quote-unquote normal, if they do. Now, is this caused by inflation? Partially, yes. So because of the pandemic and all the supply chain issues, producing eggs just cost more because of fuel, transportation, feed, and packaging, all more expensive now. But the real reason is the good old avian flu has hit once again. Over the past year, more than 58 million poor little birdies have died from the flu. Moment of silence, please. 
So how are people reacting? Well, for one, you'll probably notice that in your grocery store, they're starting to set limits on how many eggs you can buy. I saw this meme about how we're going to have to start painting potatoes as Easter eggs. I've never been a huge Easter egg person anyway. I never really got the appeal of like, you know, why would you paint the egg but not eat it? Um, Also not a big fan of hard-boiled eggs, but that is just me. Also saw a story about people smuggling eggs from Mexico. Apparently, a carton of eggs, a carton of 30 eggs in Juarez, Mexico, goes for $3.40. Versus in California, just a dozen eggs can be as expensive as over $7. So, you know, that is quite a big difference. However, please note that this is technically illegal. So according to the Customs and Border Protection, bringing poultry, including chickens and other animals, and their byproducts, such as eggs, into the United States is prohibited. So please do not do that. So what can you do if you are an egg eater and you just want to eat your eggs? Well, for one, you can eat fewer eggs, which is not the answer you want to hear or I want to hear, especially because I have been on a strength training kick. And I, as well as my husband, we both rely on eggs every morning for our protein. So that is not ideal. Well, what about egg replacements? You and I both know they're not great options. There are a few specific scenarios where I think it does make sense and my body doesn't feel like crap (laughs) with replacements. So one is a tofu scramble. If you like scrambled eggs, soft tofu can actually do the trick. You sprinkle in some green onion. You can even make it like an omelet style with tomato, spinach, whatever you like in there and do it up as a scramble. If you're baking, there's a ton of great vegan recipes out there. I actually prefer vegan baking recipes. I do a mean sweet potato brownie. It's only four ingredients, sweet potato, almond butter, maple syrup, and cocoa powder. And you can sprinkle in some chocolate chips. It is amazing, amazing. I have also tried flaxseed as an egg replacement in baking, and it's fine it's a little bit labor intensive because you gotta like really whisk it but worth a try and some of you might be thinking hey what about this plant-based egg replacement i've been seeing in target and a bunch of places so there's this brand called just foods that makes this um it's this very like cute millennial looking yellow bottle And it's called Just Egg, even though it's literally everything but eggs. So what about it? Well, to that I say, uh, let's look at the ingredients list. So I was looking at their website. It took me like five minutes to actually track down the ingredients list because they hide it in this sidebar that you only open when you go to the nutrition info. The website's very beautiful. It's like all these pictures of scrambled eggs and whatnot. But I I know what they're hiding. I know what they're hiding in. It's this ingredients list. Okay, let's read it out. Ingredients. Water. Mung bean protein isolate. I know what mung bean is. It's the little green beans that is found a lot in Asian cooking. I have no idea what the protein isolate means, but that sounds like an ultra-processed food. Uh, Next ingredient, expeller pressed canola oil. We've talked a little bit about seed oils on this podcast. Generally... 
is not good for you. We're actually going to do a deep dive on seed oils and fats in a couple weeks. But just know that canola oil is, uh, it's not vegetable oil. It's actually made from rapeseed, which I know, not a great name. Rapeseed is not something that we as humans consume generally. Canola oil is also found to be inflammatory when it's heated to high temperatures. So just generally something you don't want in your body. Okay, so those are the main ingredients, mung bean protein isolate, canola oil, and water. And then it says contains less than 2% of dehydrated onion, gallon gum, natural carrot extractives for color, natural flavors, natural turmeric extractives for color, potassium citrate, salt, sugar, tapioca syrup solids, tetrasodium pyrophosphate, transglutaminase, oh my gosh, I'm struggling here, and niacin as a preservative. All right, so a lot of things that are literally not eggs for something that is called just egg. I don't want to harp on this too much. I'm sure the people behind this brand are well-intentioned. It's a really cool narrative to be able to say like, oh my gosh, we can enjoy eggs and enjoy the texture and flavor and nutrition of eggs without having to harm chickens. However, this is clearly an ultra-processed food. There's a lot of questionable ingredients in here, and it just sounds kind of gross to me. So I'm going to say no thank you. If you happen to check it out, do let me know what you think of this stuff. So at this point, you might be like, Jane, you are missing the point. Why don't you raise your own chickens and produce your own eggs? It sounds so easy, right? Just raise your own chickens. And uh, it's funny, I saw in this New York Times article that the Google Trends for the search term raising chickens has jumped to an all-time high, like literally peak popularity. So if you go to Google Trends, you can search up any term and it'll give you a time graph of how popular the search term was from a scale of zero to 100. So the term raising chickens jumped from 28 points last December to literally 100 points in mid-January. Everyone wants to raise their own chickens. And honestly, I get it. My dream is to raise chickens one day. Today, am I ready to set up a coop and train my dog not to go ham at them? Probably not right now. We also have a shared backyard, so we'd have to get approval from our neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. But that being said, I was curious how much it actually costs to raise chickens in your backyard. So I found this handy dandy guide that I will link in the show notes. So here's the cost of raising four chickens for a year. And with four chickens, you would generally get about a dozen eggs a week, okay? So in the first year, you're gonna have more upfront investment. So here's what the costs look like. The four chickens, they'll cost about $20 each. Generally, chickens cost anywhere between $3 to $30 a chicken. But let's say you get a standard breed for $20 each. So that's $80 for the chickens. For the actual coop, you will need a coop. You can buy pre-built ones that are anywhere from like $600 to $3,000. You can also go to Home Depot, get all the materials and build it yourself. So let's assume you build it out yourself. That would be $200 worth of materials. And then there's the cost of chicken feed. And for a year, that would be $60. Vet bills would be $100. And miscellaneous expenses, another $50. So the total cost in your first year would be $490. 
That's $490 to raise four chickens in the first year. Now in the second year, you won't have that initial investment cost. So your cost would just be the chicken feed of $60, vet bills at 100 and supplies for 50. So your year two cost would only be $210. So much, much less. So would you actually save money if you raise chickens? Well, it depends on how big an egg eater you are. Let's say your household eats about a dozen eggs a week, which is pretty much how much four chickens would produce. And let's say your eggs, uh, you buy them at $4 a dozen. Multiply that by 52 and you get $208. So by year two, you'd be breaking even. Year one, you know, you got some sunk costs with the initial investment. But starting year two, you'd be saving money. You'd be getting farm fresh eggs every morning from your chickens. Honestly, living the dream. In our household, we eat a lot of eggs, like I mentioned. We actually buy three cartons a week, so that's 36 eggs. And we buy the nice, fancy, pasture-raised kind from Whole Foods. Comes out to $4.99 a carton, which I actually think for pasture-raised eggs is a really good deal. They're super high quality. The yolks are yolky. I like making my eggs over medium. And the yolks just stay in place. And when I flip them, you know, the whites stay in place. They're just sturdy eggs. So anyway, we buy uh, three cartons, so that's three times $5 a week, so that's $15 a week. Let me just take out my handy calculator. So $15 times 52 weeks is $780. That's a lot of money. Even if we got a few more chickens, I think we'd be saving at least a few hundred dollars a year, plus sourcing our own food so we know exactly where it comes from. And I was talking to some friends who do have backyard chickens and they compost all their stuff. You can feed your chickens literally all your food scraps, all your food that's about to go bad. And they clean up your yard, too, if you're growing stuff. So I feel like I'm convincing myself here. Maybe we will expedite this backyard chicken dream of ours. Certainly a lot of people are looking into it right now. So I hope this was helpful. If you happen to raise your own chickens today, I would love to know if you find it worth it from a financial point of view and also from an effort point of view. Is it worth it? My guess is probably yes, just for the taste and the quality of literally backyard fresh eggs. But anyway, yes, let me know. Switching gears here, I want to give a shout out to some of my favorite proteiny snacks and foods that I've discovered recently. Like I mentioned, I've been getting more serious about strength training recently. And I've always known intuitively that you need to eat more protein when you're working out. But until I started tracking my macros, I didn't realize how hard it is to actually get more protein into your diet without also upping your carb and fat intake. Big disclaimer, I am not a nutritionist or a trainer. I'm not here to sell you on a diet or tell you that you need to be tracking your food. I think that counting calories can be a trap if you're not approaching it with the right mindset. And I don't count calories, I count more macros, particularly the grams of protein I eat. I'm just sharing my personal experience of, hey, here are some proteiny things that I like that also happen to be minimally processed. And on my personal fitness journey, I know that I need to be building and maintaining muscle. And the only macro that helps you do that is protein. Also, I've tried a bunch of different protein powders, specifically vegan ones, because I can't do whey. It just gives me a headache. But I find that most protein powders just taste artificial and chalky. I try to stick with real foods, so Nova Groups 1 through 3. And 
wanted to share a few things that I have been loving. Okay, so the first one is instead of traditional protein shakes, I love the Core Power Chocolate Milkshake. It's basically chocolate milk and it has 26 grams of protein. And they use monk fruit sugar and stevia to sweeten it. So it only has five grams of sugar. It's from the brand Fairlife, which is a lactose-free uh, dairy brand. Bless, because Yo Girl is lactose intolerant. They are Where Food Comes From Care certified and Animal Welfare Review certified. My gym sells these bottles for like $4 a pop. And that's how I found out about them. And I was like, this tastes good. And the nutrition profile is insane. So now I get them in bulk from Amazon, which I'll share the link to. And you can also get them in bulk from Costco. They're great to just stock up in the fridge and grab and go for your workout. So instead of protein shakes, that's what I will do. It tastes amazing. If you're like me and you don't like sweet things that much, it's not overly sweet. But what I'll do is I'll like take a few sips and then add a little bit of water to kind of dilute the sweetness even a little bit more. So that's the first one, Fairlife Core Power Chocolate Milkshake. Go check it out. My second recommendation, this one is so underrated because I don't think it's like categorized or branded as a high protein food, but it is the Five Spice Tofu from the brand Changxing Tofu. Now, when I was a kid, my mom would pack the most Asian home-cooked food on our camping trips. She would boil up a big pot of tea eggs and tofu, and we'd bring the whole pot along for snacks. And I used to think this was like the most nerdy, uncool food. Like all the cool kids had Rice Krispies or chips or things that came in plastic packaging, you know. But looking back, I'm like, hell yeah, this tastes good. It's high protein minimally processed just one piece of this tofu has 13 grams of protein and only four grams of carb and six grams of fat i am obsessed it's like the best hidden gem so now whenever i find this tofu at grocery stores i try to stock up i get mine from super 88 which is a local chinese supermarket you can probably find it at h mart if that's in your city or you could probably find something similar in the tofu section of your local grocery store or better yet, you can even make your own. I will link a recipe in the show notes. Five Spice Tofu, so tasty, so high protein, highly recommend. And then for our omnivores in the house, when it comes to a lean, mean, tasty protein snack, nothing is better than a beef jerky. By now, you've probably heard me wax poetic about Bon Jerk, the Asian spice jerky brand from the lovely Annika Wu. She is actually out of stock right now as they're ramping up production, but I do want to give a shout out to a new brand I've been loving. It is the Paleo Valley 100% grass-fed beef sticks. If you're like me, you might have seen their ads on Instagram. They're basically these like pepperoni sticks that come in five different flavors, and they have some crazy deals on their Instagram ads. I paid about $60 for four packs of 10, so that's 40 sticks, which comes out to $1.50 a stick. Really not bad for a zero-carb snack that has 6 grams of protein. And it's regenerative grass-fed beef, so it's high quality. You know it's good for the land. So I'm going to link that in the show notes. But pro tip, I would follow them on Instagram or just search for them so that you get on their radar. They'll start serving you up ads. You'll probably see multiple different ads for different deals. So what I recommend is actually saving those ad posts and then you can go back and see which deal you like the most. 
So anyway, those are the three high-protein snacks I've been loving recently. If y'all are interested in trying these out, I can potentially reach out to these brands and see about getting a little farm-to-future discount on these goodies. But just to put out there, I'm not sponsored by any of these brands, at least not today, although I would love to be. And hey, if you are also a fitness baddie or, you know, go to the gym or just generally interested in this type of fitness food content, especially around real food and whole food options, give me a shout because I would love to make more content like this. Well, all right, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you took something away. Remember to nourish your body and I will talk to you next time.